I'm, I'm grateful for this church. We've been coming to this church a long time. I've stayed on every part of this property. I don't think I've stayed in this building. They may put me in this building next time I come, but uh, but I've stayed in each part of the building, you know, one over here and over there and back over here. And I'm sorry my wife's not with me, but uh, we got grandchildren now. One of them's getting married here soon, so she's trying to get things prepared for that and then... She's been a little bit under the weather, not much, but uh, she's behaving herself. But uh, over the past, since 1975, I don't know what year, how many years that been, 46, 47? Mathematicians, where are you guys? Huh? 46, 46 years. We started out up in Scotland. I had the greatest blessings a couple weeks ago. I had a fellow call me, and he said, you know who I am? He called his name Ryan Orwell. You never forget that name. And I said, yes. I said, I remember you were saved in my ministry. He said, yes, I left there when I was 23 years old, and I'm 46, I mean uh, 60 now. I thought, goodness gracious. He'd been around the world and come back, amen doing the work of the Lord. And I think about another fellow called me from Alabama. He said, uh, do you remember me? My name is Mark Hayes. I said, uh, yeah, I remember Mark Hayes. He said, do you remember where I was at when I got saved? And I said, no, I don't believe I remember that. He said, I was laying flat on my face in my living room, and you led me to the Lord Jesus. And he said, I just want to rejoice with you that you led me to the Lord Jesus. We got several of those along the way. I rejoice in God's given me a great ministry over the years. Uh, we started in Scotland, built three churches there in Scotland, left there and went down to England and built one there, turned them all over to pastors, by the way. And then we moved over to Belgium, and the Lord just about wouldn't let me go. He, I thought he was going to treat me like Pharaoh, just wouldn't let his people go. But uh, we finally left after seven years and moved over to Würzburg, stayed there almost four years, and then moved down to the Bahamas where we could have a vacation, you know. And we built three churches in the Bahamas. And uh, out of all that, we built all those churches in 28 years. While I was in, in, uh, in Bahamas, the Lord began to direct our paths in the ministry that we're in now. Uh, I traveled around the world. I've been to more than 100 nations. Uh, that's a lot of places. That's a lot of miles. On uh, Delta Airline, I have over a million miles. I have permanent status of, of silver. I wish they'd give me a medallion or something like that, but silver. At least I get my bag checked, amen. They don't give you free coffee or anything, but uh, over over a million miles, almost two million will be shortly when I get back on the airline. Already had a million with another airline, Northwest Airlines. So we've, we've been traveling on. I'm sort of like Johnny Cash, man. I've been everywhere uh, doing what the Lord would have us to do. And, and you're part of that. That's the reason I said all that. You're part of that. We could not do what we do. If it wasn't for churches like yours, you've, you've been concerned. You've prayed for me. No doubt you've prayed for me. I hope you have. If you haven't, boy, you've got, well, I don't think you've got God fooled, but you sure have me fooled. God has done a great work. I think about going to Africa. For the first time, I met a man there. His name is Seabury Nabarro. Seabury Nabarro is one of the finest men I've met. He's a powerful man. He was a high school teacher. Eventually became a principal, uh, uh, became a uh, yeah principal of a school, a uh, district of schools, and I met him, gave his testimony that he had gotten saved when he was a high school teacher. There was a missionary that came to the field, American missionary. You know, Americans done a great job. Well, I mean, the Americans has done a great job. Thank God for American missionary. They've went around the world. 
and they've reached quite a few people in this old world. He said, American missionary came here and led me to the Lord Jesus when I was a high school teacher. And he said, God began to deal with my heart that I wanted to reach not only my Kenya, but I wanted to reach Africa, especially throughout the central part of Africa. I've been working with him now since 1999. I think that's about 22 years, I think it is. He and I have been working very closely together. I've not just worked in Kenya, but I work in India. I've worked in several parts of India. There's uh, hundreds of churches we've seen established there. I just was with a man not too long ago that had planted 60 churches in Anapadish, right around the Hyderabad area, Kamal, I think that's how you pronounce it. Done a wonderful work. Got saved in, in a little church. His dad had a little church. He got saved, went to Bible school in, in uh, Hyderabad, and went back there and, and started 60 churches. But anyhow, Seabury is, is a wonderful man. He, he's had a burden. He said, Brother, uh, he said, Brother, we need to, uh, somebody else did, but it, I'll pick it up like a gentleman's supposed to. But anyhow, um, uh, when he began to work with Africa, or began to work with uh, uh, the uh, Kenyan people, we started 1,200 Baptist churches. That's unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable to me. When I say it, people look at me like a new calf looking at a new fence. It's hard to believe it. I've been in a lot of those churches. Sometimes I'll go to the mission field and I'll, I'll tell Brother Seber, I don't want to see anything but new churches. And for two weeks or three weeks, solid, church after church after church. I said, sometimes we may not be able to preach in the church. That's all right. But I want to see the pastor and I want to see the building they meet in. And sometimes we see 20, 25 churches in that length of time, or sometimes even more churches than that. But the problem was with this pandemic that came along, it really hit uh, Kenya hard. I don't know that it hit us, hit them any harder than it did here in America. But uh, when they closed down everything, you, you take, for instance, first of all, they don't have electricity. Can you imagine going through a pandemic lockdown with no electricity? Not only they didn't have electricity, uh, they don't have running water. Not only do they not have running water, but they don't have paved roads. That put them in a real dilemma. Brother Seabury would call me, and of course we used to have to pay two, long, two arms and two legs to call overseas, but now... He can call me for a penny a minute, and I don't mind paying him a penny a minute if that's what it takes for him to call me. But he'd call me, and he said, our people are suffering. I don't know if some of you didn't get to see it, or if you did see it, our prayer letter last time had ten names in there, and we, we can support. <laughs> I, I'm almost ashamed when I say it. Some people say, that can't be true. But we say for four or five dollars a month, you can support a pastor. Can you imagine that? And uh, I had a pastor call me the other day, and he taken all those ten names. And of course, I've got a couple hundred more. If you if you need more, uh, he's already given them to me. What I'm saying is that this pandemic has really wreaked havoc on our churches in Central Africa. People are literally starving to death. Before, they didn't have no, no refrigerator because they didn't have electricity. And what they was doing was they'd go out and find the food that they could find when everything was normal. But when the pandemic come, there was no way to go out and find food. Most of the time, they live on $1 a day. I'm talking about village. I'm not talking about Nairobi and Mombasa. No, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about in the village. No running water, no electricity. They live in mud huts. I don't know if you can even imagine that, but living in a mud hut. I've, I've, I've had a meal in those mud huts. The wives know how to cook a pretty good meal in a mud hut. 
but it's hard to live in a mud hut because it's made out of mud. And when the rains come, guess what? It destroys the home. And they do have a rainy season. So we, we had, uh, he called me and he said, you know, the churches are really struggling because of the fact that uh, uh, the government has really come down on us and saying that we're trying to keep this pandemic under wraps. And, and the only way we can do that is to make sure everyone that come, everyone that's a, a, a member of the church, they need to have their temperature taken. If, if, if they take the temperature and they got one, they don't let them come into the church or into the building or into the area they're in. And he says, there's no way they can afford one. And can you help me? Of course, we've raised about $1,000 for thermometers. We probably need 10 times that now. But they said if you don't have a thermometer in the church, just like when we come in this morning, uh, they would take your temperature. And if the government officials come in, if the police or whoever it was that was checking, if they come into the building, We'd ask the pastor for a thermometer, and if he didn't have one, they'd find him $500. Could you imagine that? That would scare preachers to death. And so what we did was, I told Brother Seabury, do what you can. Let's do what we can. Let's get a thermometer in every preacher's hand. And, of course, now it's, it's, it's a little bit better if it's still not as good as we like to see it go. But yet one of the things that we're trying to do is to get in the hands, I, I was talking to Brother Glenn last night about the uh, this business of uh, the food pantries and all the rest of it. Uh, people starving to death in Kenya. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's it's just it's just flabbergasting to me. In this country, you know, there's you can there's a lot of places where you can get food, but not there. So I'm asking you to pray for Kenya, and then throughout. Central Africa, all across Central Africa, we have church after church after church. And we just had one of our men pass away, uh, Brother Timothy, if you saw in our prayer letter. Brother Timothy got saved when he was about 14 years of age, I think it was. And Brother Timothy was led to the Lord by an American missionary in the Congo, right in the center of Congo, called Bantumba. And uh, Bantumba is almost a half a million people. About 750, 800,000 people lives in the village. No running water, no electricity, and no paved roads. And Brother Timothy was a mighty man of the Lord. Just a great, I preached for him in there. He had one of the largest buildings in uh, probably in in that area. Huge building, and there was nothing straight about the building. I mean, you look at it, and it's cockeyed. I mean, that's just the way they built things. And sometimes you wonder if it was going to stand up when you got all them people in. And on Sunday morning at 5 o'clock, it was full. Every Sunday morning at 5 o'clock. Every evening, of course, they went to the fields and worked in the fields and did what they did uh, during the day. But at night, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, they had another service, filled the buildings and compacted. And he passed away. Uh, his shoes is going to be hard to fill. I wish you'd pray for the Congo. He, he started, uh, there was an American, him and his wife and two children. They moved there. I don't know when, what year it was. I guess Brother Timothy was probably 75 or maybe a little more than that. But uh, he was 14, 16 years of age when he got saved. American missionaries led him to the Lord and was beginning to train him. The American missionaries went back home for just a short furlough and came back. And when they got back, they stayed just a short time, and the whole family got a dreadful disease, and the whole family died. As far as I know, they buried there in Bantumba. But yet he had enough about him that he went in there and built 60 Baptist churches, 60 and just in the, since we've met him, give him some instruction, give him some information, help him along the way. He now has over 200 Baptist churches that he's planted just in Bantumba. And God has blessed that ministry in a marvelous way. I hope I'm not boring you because of the fact 
this is exciting to me that God has done such a marvelous work through men. I think about John DeMay. I can tell you about John DeMay that was in Liberia. Some of you may know J.P. Lyons. Anybody know J.P. Lyons? Anybody know him? He was an old. Did you raise your hand? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. I'm sorry. I thought I was a sale and somebody raised their hand. But anyhow, uh, J.T. Lyons went there many years ago, flew airplanes, take those, those nationals and fly them out into the village and bring them back. John DeMay started a church right in a village. I've stayed in that home, in that house. The John DeMay got saved. His daddy was a, a rubber, had a rubber plantation, had hundreds and perhaps even thousands of rubber trees. He would take the, the sap from those rubber trees and sell them to Firestone and made a pretty good living down through the years, of course, They've taken advantage of him. But John DeMay got saved, just a little boy. He was just, he couldn't even sit on one of these pews, but he probably sat on a, on a coconut uh, tree log. And uh, as he sat there and his feet wouldn't touch the ground, he said, I remember for many weeks they said, hey, good news is coming from the farmland. He said, I, we all got excited. The whole village was just plumb excited about good news from a farmland. He said one day he showed up in the town square, hundreds, all the people that was there in that area, they met to meet the foreigner that's going to give good news. And they sit there and they told him how that Jesus died and was buried and rose again and that if they would put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that they could be saved. They dealt with all the people, hundreds, hundreds of people got saved. John DeMay, just a little fellow, slipped down, come down to the altar, and he said, told the Lord, I need to be saved. Nobody dealt with him. But John DeMay was the one that built that church in the center of that place. See the thousands. I preached there, thousand people. I mean, it was filled every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Friday night, and I mean, just about all the time it's filled. It was a place where people could find the Lord Jesus. John's gone. He's got a couple of boys that's still preaching. See, that's what's happening to Christianity. Not only in America, our giants are dying. Have you noticed that? Many of our giants have died. They're gone. Overseas the same way. Most of our giants in in Africa, India. I think about big, tall, lanky guy. Always had long fingernails. I never could imagine him having long. I mean, have a man having long fingernails. He had long fingernails. Showed up at Tennessee Temple same time I did. K. S. Kumar. I don't know if anybody ever knows him. K. S. Kumar was a powerful man. He was a lawyer. In India, I preached for him hundreds of times. We'd go out at night. We would travel for two hours or hour, sometimes 15 minutes, but never more than two, two and a half hours. Preaching a church. Hundreds of people got saved. Just saw hundreds of people. He had 850 Baptist churches, buildings. <laughs> Powerful man. He's with the Lord today. I remember he would raise support, and the the, uh, the, the pastors, the only way they had to get support, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about dirt poor people, nothing. And he would raise the money for the building, and raise the money for the pastor. And I see hundreds of pastors stand in front of his in front of his house on on what they would call payday, and give them. $25 would pastor a church. <laughs> God has allowed me to see some things in my lifetime. But K.S. is gone to be with the Lord. It's finished. His son called me the other day and said, Preacher, you've got to come and visit us. I'm going. I'm going to. God give me strength. If I can get all these coronaviruses shots taken care of, I'll I'm going to try to go. Amen. Would you pray for me to do that? I want at least 20 more years. Do you reckon that's possible? 
I hope so. I'm really looking forward to it. But anyhow, I want you to pray that the Lord would do what needs to be done. You know, we had to close all of our Bible school. We had five Bible schools. I used to go over and teach in the Bible schools in Kenya and just everywhere. I preached, uh, taught in India. There was a fellow that went to up at Chesapeake Bay. Uh, he went to school up there. And he'd ask me to come, and every once in a while I'd fly in to be with him. And uh, teachers, teachers, he had about 300 students and just had a great ministry there. Just God is doing things in our world. But our staff, <laughs> I guess we could say it, staff, our workers are getting old. Like so many people today in our churches are getting old. We got to replace ourselves. We got to replenish ourselves. The problem is that we're not replenishing ourselves. I was thinking about it during this time when we had our lockdown. I was thinking about all that thing. Uh, we tried to, our best to get our our preachers involved, and so that's the reason I wore this little pen. I'm I'm hurt. Nobody asked me what my pen was. Anybody know what that pen is? Anybody got an idea? Anybody care? That's what your preacher said. <laughs> That's a gospel pen. I got on an airplane one day, and, and Delta put me up in first class. Now, that's when you're cooking in high cotton, amen? And uh, I, w I got in first and sat down, and there was this man coming. And I saw him coming, had a scowl on his face. I knew that he thought he was somebody. And uh, he came down, and... Before he, as he's putting his stuff up, he looked at me and he said, what is that? I said, what are you talking about? He said, that, that, that pen on there. I said, that's a gospel pen. What is a gospel pen? And I proceeded to tell him that God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And he was buried. And he said, stop, stop, stop. I don't want to hear it anymore. I said, you want to know about my pen? I'm going to tell you about my pen. I don't want to hear about it. And you can only imagine the ride that we had from that place till we landed. He wouldn't talk to me. And that's all right. At least I got a little bit in. And I tried to open my Bible so he could read it, you know, where he talked about it. But people need the gospel. I want to speak just a few minutes. I don't know what time we get out of here, about 12 like normal. <laughs> no, I'm going to kid you that. We'll get you out at least quarter one. But, uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll be nice. Y'all been so got nice to me and fed me last night and all that good stuff. And I appreciate Glenn and Dawn taking us out last night. Great blessing. I want to talk just a little bit about the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Of course you do. You're a Baptist church. Your preacher just preached on it, I imagine the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I want you to look with me in a passage of scripture. It's found in Mark's gospel, chapter 13. I'm going to preach on it this morning, and I'm going to preach on it tonight. It's going to be different. Tonight's going to be different. I'm going to do some teaching tonight, and I'm going to try to do some teaching this morning. But the, the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, notice, if you will, uh, in Mark 13, 10, and when it's written in red, what does that mean? Oh, Jesus is speaking. We put emphasis on it. I thought all of it was the Word of God, but anyhow, uh, that written in red is what Jesus said. Notice what he said. Jesus is saying this. It's not, it's not one of the disciples. It's not, it's not the... Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Mark, he, no, it's, it's, it's not him. He's not saying it. He's writing it down, what Jesus said. And he goes on to say, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. Did you get that? Let's look at it again. Some of me are afraid you didn't get it. Look like you staring into space. Let's try it again. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Jesus said that. Now, there's probably about, I'm not sure, I'm going to just 
guesstimate, but it's pretty close. About 250 nations, could be more now, could be less. They change every week, especially in Africa. You never know what's going on. But uh, we've, we've, we've had the gospel how long? Twice a minute. Well, not, not, not forever, but it seemed like forever for us. The gospel was given to us when Jesus went to the cross and was buried and rose again. That's the gospel that he's talking about. And the gospel must first be published. Among, there's three areas I want you to look at. There's three areas in this verse. That's a mighty small verse to preach a sermon on. Amen. But I want to try to do my best on pointing out three things about this verse. And I'm going to take my outline straight from verse 13. Jesus said, and the gospel. What is the gospel? We think about the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. I got excited this morning when I was reading through uh, book of First and Second Timothy, uh, how much Paul talked about, uh, how much Timothy talked about, how much it talks about the gospel in Timothy. What a, what a great blessing! Without the gospel, no one could be saved. You believe that? Nobody can be saved without Jesus being loved by God and sending Him to this world that. Men, women, boys, and girls be saved. That's the reason we need to be feverish. We need to be passionately getting the gospel to the ends of the world. We, we're failing. I see a lot of young people today that are, they meaning well. A lot of young people are going to Bible school. Do you know there's more people in Bible school today than it ever been in the history of the world? But we're seeing so little evangelistic work that's going on in our world today. Very little. We see hospitals. I, I was in Togo, and, and they've got big hospitals. In fact, I think they've got three big hospitals that's been built there. But yet, somehow or another, church planting was put on the bottom. We've had some. Uh, that's another man I think about this morning. He's with the Lord built uh, 29 Baptist Church up north of Togo. But yet at the same time, when we, when we think about uh, building hospitals and building schools, all of that's good. All of that's important. We've got to have them. But the thing about it is, if we don't get the gospel to people, They'll die and go to a devil's hell. Simple as that. And the only way a man, woman, boy can be saved is to know about Jesus, what he did on the cross of Calvary. God loved this world. I can't imagine God loved. I mean, I love my son. I got a pretty good boy. He's a preacher. But yet at the same time, I'd hate to know that I had to give him to this world that they might be redeemed but God said it's imperative that I love the world enough that I would willingly give my son on the cross of Calvary I'm willingly giving him and if I willingly give him my uh, I give my son people can be saved the whole world have a chance to be born in the family of God now the gospel. It's very important. How important is the gospel? That's how I got saved. I was saved out of a drunkard's home. I was raised in a home that never had a Bible in it. I never remember a Bible in my home. First Bible that was ever in my home, I bought it and gave it to mom and dad so that they would at least say they had a Bible in the home. But yet at the same time, my daddy would not let preachers come to our house. Can you imagine that? I don't know what his purpose was, what his motive was. Probably was considering damning the whole family to hell. But yet my daddy refused it. I remember there was a fellow, he was very prominent in our neighborhood. His name was Don Collins. 
John Collins was there. He's a preacher. Had a church. People got saved. People's lives were changed. I remember Don pulled up to the house one day, and he throwed out his leg. You know how you open the door and throw your leg out? They said, hey, get out of here. We don't want it. I heard Brother Don say, you don't know what I've got. He said, I still don't want it. Get out of here. I didn't have a chance to be saved until I was 20 years of age. Then my brother had already gotten married, and he got saved. He and his wife got saved, and they brought the gospel to me. That's how I got saved. I got on an airplane in Greensboro, North Carolina, or Winston-Salem, North Carolina, actually. Got on an airplane, and when I got on that airplane, I headed toward Vietnam, somewhere between Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and Oakland, California. I cried out to God, God saved me. Isn't that wonderful? It was because of the gospel. The gospel saved my brother, and my brother said, I need my little brother saved, and he gave me the gospel, and the gospel is what changed my life. When I received the gospel message of the Lord Jesus, he changed my life completely. I've never been the same. In fact, I don't want to be like I used to be. I'm glad God changed me. I'm excited about being a born-again child of God. So when we talk about the gospel, that's the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But then he talks about something else. Not only does he say about the gospel. See, the whole world stands in need of the gospel. You that are here this morning that have never trusted Lord Jesus Christ, you in dire need of hearing the gospel and believing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter who we are. Don't matter what you've done. That's marvelous, isn't it? It doesn't matter what your life was before you became saved, but when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, he changes. It don't make any difference what you were. That's exciting. Better be exciting to you. But the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection. Then there's another part I want you to look at. This is where we, we are really missing the point per se today, 21st century, if you will. It started in the 20th century, probably in the 19th century. But it's continuing in this century that we're living in is that we fail to publish the gospel. How do, we, how do we go about publishing the gospel? You ever thought about it? We, uh, we got such a large ministry that to get anything done is almost impossible because of the cost. I met a fellow. He came... I was in his church, and he said, Brother Tilly, what can we do for you? And I said, we need literature. He said, what kind of literature? I said, we're in schools. We're in, can you imagine? I've met the man that's over all of the schools. I'm talking about public schools. I'm talking about, I'm talking about little bitty kids. I'm talking about middle-sized kids. I'm talking about big kids, I'm talking about universe, I'm talking about all of them. I met him. He said, I want you to get the gospel in every school. I said, we'll help you. We'll make sure that the school is ready when you get there and you preach the gospel. And we've seen thousands, thousands. I know that's a big number, but thousands have been saved. And we said we need literature. And I, I remember he said, I got a man I want you to go see. And he's in Beckley, West Virginia. I want you to go up there and see him. I said, okay. I went in there to see him. And he said, oh, yes. Yeah. We print all that material for you. How many do you need? I said, we'll, maybe. We'll take all you got. Many as you want to preach. Just print them up. He said, how are you going to get it to us? I said, you going to print it, but you ain't going to send it? No. You have to find a way to get it. 
He printed a million eight hundred and fifty thousand copies. Beautiful little book. It's got the Gospel of John in it. It's got little guidelines of how to be saved and how that you can draw the net and people can be saved. And then in the end, it talks about being baptized and become part of the church. I mean, it was just, just, just fantastic, exactly what we needed. And so we tried to get it all together and get it on a boat. You know how much they wanted? $80,000. That's half this premium. I said, my Lord, I don't know what I can do. I mean, I'll give $50. And I'm sure I can get a couple of churches to give me maybe $100. Sort of like the little boy with the sack lunch, amen? Well, then among so many of them. Happen was there was a businessman down in Florida. He taken it upon himself. And he finally got it over there. Never got them all. He put a pile of them in my basement. I still got a pile of them in my basement. Africa's split up in four different major languages. Swahili, English, French, and Arabic. And I've got probably several hundreds of Arabic and English in my basement. Because when I go, I take a box and I go. But literature is expensive. I don't know if you understand that or not. I mean, they print, they they print, they print all you want. They printed a million eight hundred fifty thousand copies. But to get it from A to B, it's almost impossible. You think about eighty thousand dollars to ship material. Now, when we talk about a million eight hundred fifty thousand copies of that little booklet, I doubt very seriously you could put it in this room. This is a lot, a lot of stuff. I saw it when it was printed. I mean, it was just pallet after pallet after pallet. Now, why am I saying all that? We lead thousands of those kids to the Lord Jesus and we have nothing to put in their hands. It's even hard to get a gospel track in their hands. You don't find too many people that are mailing tracks overseas. Let me get to the point so we can get out of here. The point is that we need to publish the gospel. That's what Jesus said. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Published. That's not only just giving out literature, but that's preaching. We have, we have thousands of uh, preaching pulpits. I had a little old fellow went with me from North Carolina, and he said he wanted to go to, uh, go to Africa. And I said, sure, come on. I said, when you go, I want you to be prepared to pray. He said, well, not preach that much. But I said, well, if you go with me, you're going to preach. He preached 55 times. In two weeks, 750 people trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We need people that would do that without me going. Or you can go with me. doesn't matter. If people want to see people say, hey, it's a good experience. He now has surrendered completely to the ministry, and we ordained him a couple weeks ago. That's what it's about, Amen. Getting people involved in getting the gospel to the ends of the world. Publishing it. Are you publishing the gospel? Most of us are handling the gospel. I'm talking about bringing our Bible to church and whatever. We need to get the gospel out. And then notice what he says in that last part. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Jesus never, hardly ever spoke without talking about nations. He hardly ever spoke without talking about many people. You remember when he was there and his heart was moved with compassion upon the people when he 
lifted up his eyes and looked at that multitude of people. You remember what happened? He was moved with compassion on him because he had people in his heart. You have people in your heart? When you have people in your heart, hey, listen, you want to see people saved. I mean, when I go to the field, it doesn't matter where I go. I've seen 10,000 people sit as quiet as mouth, almost quiet as you folks at times. Y'all make me right nervous. Hope you ain't got guns in there. <laughs> quiet. Didn't have a soft pew to sit in. They sit on the ground. And finally had to put up ropes because when we gave invitation that they would all come running like football players. And they would all slide into the altar and begging God, crying, I want to be saved. You ever seen that? <laughs> it happens. It's happening all over. If we can only get back there, we can see it again. That's the reason I want you to pray for us. It's not me, good gracious. We need to pray that God will continue getting the gospel to the every nation. You, have you heard about Burma in the news just recently? Anybody heard about the Burma in the news? I've been watching too much Fox News. That's the problem. Burma is in a mess. Burma's had some good churches there. It was military ruled and there was a lady that came to rule and she was beginning to do some things and they didn't like what she was doing. They've taken back over, I understand. I haven't heard it in the last few days. I've seen hundreds of Burmese come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through service. People are wanting to be saved. People wants to be saved. Can you imagine people wanting to be saved and cannot be saved? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody's concerned. Oh, I'm not saying you're not completely concerned or unconcerned, but so many times we get lax in our ministries, get lax in our lives, and we don't do half what we need to do. We're more concerned about dying than we are about living. We're more concerned about our death than we are about the death of those without God. The world is waiting. I heard a preacher say something one time, and I'm going to have to close because that clock has been wound, I think. I remember a preacher one time many years ago. said one or two things has happened to the gospel. I was a young preacher then. I got to thinking, what is that he's talking about? Something's happened to the gospel. I said, I want to listen to this. So I was just thought he was going to come off with some off-the-wall scripture, especially for a young bunch of young students. He said, the gospel might have lost its power. And I said, are you crazy? Gospel ain't never lost no power. Paul said, that's the reason I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. So I said, man, I just might as well turn him off. He's not got anything to say. Or he said, one of the things that could have happened to the gospel that it's never been given. People waiting on it. Just wonder. So I come in yesterday, coming down the road, all kinds of houses and apartments, just, just all kinds. I know we're in a pandemic. I know we, Corona's here. Congratulations. We've got it, whatever it is. Many of us had it. Many of us survived it, and some of us may not. But the thing about it is, all of these people within, just within an earshot of this place. We're talking about 
within two miles of this place. People are going to die and go to a devil's hell without ever hearing the good news. And whose fault is it? Is it your preacher? I hope you don't blame him. I bet it's because we've not hired enough staff. <laughs> I bet it's because of the fact we don't, our deacons is not what they're supposed to be. No, it's because of us. We failed to get the gospel to people. People waiting on us. People are standing and waiting. I was, I was sitting in a doctor's office the other day and I try to speak to people and try to be nice to people. I want people to be saved. I, I really like to see people saved. I really like to see the gospel do a work in people. I like it. I love it. I was sitting in the doctor's office, and there was a, there was a black man came in. Y'all witness black people down here, right? I saw a bunch of them right here. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a few around here. But, anyhow, he was sitting there, and both legs cut off. I thought he was in military. I was in there getting some insoles and some shoes. Uncle Sam had paid for these, by the way. Uncle Sam been so good to me. I gave him half my life. No, I didn't either, but uh, I gave him three years of my life. But I was sitting there, and I got to thinking about, you know, here's an old boy in the military and probably got blown up in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever. And I asked him, I said, where were, what, what branch of the military? He said, no, was in the military. I thought, good gracious. I said, what happened? He said, I was a diabetic, and I got problems with my feet, and I lost my leg. Of course, I went on to talk to him about God. I asked him a question. I said, you believe God loves you? Oh, said, well, yes, God loves me. He said, he's put me through a lot. But I said, do you really believe that God loves you? Yeah, I guess he loves me. I said, let me explain to you how much God loves you. Yeah, how much? I said, he gave his son to die for you. He looked at me and he said, I never really looked at it that way. And I went on and on and gave him the gospel looked as though he was coming under conviction, and all of a sudden he said, Preacher, I need to be saved. I said, Yes, you do. Of course, I was nonchalant. I mean, you know, hey, you get people excited, and then they sort of like a water faucet. They cut you off like that, you know. He said, I need to be saved. I said, Great. What do you need to do about being saved? He said, I want you to tell me what to do to be saved. I said, I've already told you that God loves you and Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and paid the price for you. And if you would trust him as your Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. He said, I want that. And he was almost screaming like I'm screaming in the doctor's office. I thought they was going to throw us out. And I said, why don't you just bow your head right where you at and ask the Lord Jesus to come in your heart and save you. The boy bowed his head and said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you in my heart. Please come in my Right there in the doctor's office. People are hurting. You miss an opportunity. How many miss, miss opportunities have we missed? Thousands of people today right here in this congregation, could be saved if we only open our mouth. Those in this congregation could reach thousands. That's the way I mean to say it. But the problem is, we don't hear. People need to hear. What if people said, I know T.J., but I don't want him to be saved. I, I can't talk. I can't say, I can't, I can't. Won't you just shut up and get busy? That's the only way I can say it. Life is too short. Who knows next week 
We could be gone. I had a dear friend of mine, just a dear friend, sported my ministry. And his wife called the other day and said he wasn't going to sport my ministry anymore because he passed away. Ministry's gone. Good man. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's the reason I feel the urgency of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Would you help me? Let's get the gospel out. We know the gospel has the power. But the problem is it's not being given. When's the last time you give? I'm going to be on an ordination council and I'm going to hush. Please don't get rid of it. Come on. Take it over and do whatever you need to. But I'm going to be on an ordination council. Just on one last week. I asked this question. When was the last time or when was the last time that you witnessed to somebody and had them come to Christ? And I almost didn't want to sign his ordination council because he couldn't tell me a time that he witnessed to somebody and led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's time. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, folks. Let's bow our heads for prayer this morning. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're watching this morning via live stream and you've never placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, what a great message. Thank you, Brother Tilly. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son so that you could have life and that you could have it more abundantly. He said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'd die right now, I'd go to heaven to be with God, and I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up this morning and right back down. I'll pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you by need. I'm not sure about my salvation, preacher. Please remember me in your in your prayers. Is there one? Can I can I encourage you this morning? If you're watching my live stream and you're not saved, stop putting it off. Stop procrastinating. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and He'll save you. How do you know that, preacher? He saved me. And like Paul, he's already saved the chief of sinners. I promise you, he can save you. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed to the instruments this morning playing a hymn invitation. If you need to come, maybe you need to come for salvation. Maybe you need to come for prayer. Maybe you need to come because God's dealing with your heart. For whatever reason, if you need to come, don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Don't hesitate. If God's dealing with your heart, do business with Him today.